Well, it's often been said in our area that we have two seasons of the year, winter and construction. And uh, we're entering into that time. And as you know, you especially if you're traveling somewhere, you see, oh, there's a sign. Construction in two miles or whatever. And then it's always nice to see that end construction. Sometimes, though, you'll go through those uh, signs and you realize... Uh, they're done. They just haven't removed the signs and or they just aren't doing it. They didn't mean much. And, uh, and so it, it announces when there's no one around and the, everything's silent that the construction is not going on at the moment. Well, let me just ask you if uh, it was found out that God's construction was going to be halted for a little while in your life, would your friends say, I don't know of any I didn't know any construction was going on. And unfortunately, there isn't that reality of the dynamic of the constant transformation that God wants to see accomplished in our life. A man named Charles Trumbull was serving the Lord, putting his everything, everything into it, but he was defeated. He believed right, but he had no power. He had no results. He was self-dependent. And therefore very discouraged. But God began to work in his heart. And he began to understand the love of Jesus Christ. And the fact that the Christian life is to be lived through the very life of Christ rather than his own power. And he writes the book, the testimony of that, Victory in Christ. How God transformed his life. Well, the Lord Jesus is wanting to do that for all of us. And this is the final message around Easter here that we've entitled the, the series, Loved by Jesus. And we're looking at a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 21, the final chapter of the Gospel of John and of all of the Gospels. And we're going to look at that in just a minute but I want to give background for a few minutes here to this setting that will help us, I think, gain much more from it. I will read the first two verses, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. After these things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. The disciples, six of the remaining 11, were up in Galilee at this time. The Lord had told them to go to Galilee. Now, the Lord had met with them before that because they had not immediately come. But they were waiting for the appearance of Christ here. And these were disciples that while Christ was ministering here on the earth had the thrill of a divine commission. I mean, these men had Jesus Christ commissioned them to do His work. And, uh, and so we, we see these men that they had the privilege of being delegated the very ministry of Jesus Christ. They were delegated Christ's own ministry. Think about that. The Lord Jesus said, what I am doing, you can do. Mark 3, verse 14, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, 
and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Well, that's pretty amazing stuff. You think about that. To be told by the Lord Jesus, and they had seen the power that he had demonstrated as the Messiah, that he sent them forth to speak, that he would anoint them to speak, and they would have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. That was a major, major uh, commission that was uh, given to them. And then it was wonderful, not only did they have that, but he ordained them that they should be with him. And so these men had several years of being with Christ, discipled by him. They were his disciples and were on different tours of preaching themselves and experiencing the miraculous power of God. And we need to realize uh, that God has that kind of ministry for us in declaring the Word of God even in our day. And that's why I want you to relate yourself. We're going to be uh, zeroing in on Peter here but how God wants to restore us to a place of genuine, powerful Christ ministry in our lives. I love the story of Dwight L. Moody. You've probably heard it. He stepped up to a man who was a perfect stranger and said, Sir, are you a Christian? And the man replied, Mind your own business. And Moody in his undaunted style said, This is my business. <laughs> and truly... All of us have been given the Great Commission. In fact, uh, that was going to be given up in Galilee, as you find in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. But the disciples were empowered of the Lord. And uh, God had given them the opportunity to see Him work. Mark 6.30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And so it's a wonderful reality as you look at them and what God has for us. God said that we would do greater works. But the problem was the disciples got hung up on the human side of what was happening. And they had a lot to learn. They were going to clearly be revealed for their weakness in perspective at how they handled the apprehension of Christ and His time on the cross. The Lord warned them in Luke 10, 20, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So this is a little background. These men had experienced the power of God. They had been commissioned by the Lord. They had had this tremendous, wonderful opportunity to be with Him, and yet they had not fully comprehended the spiritual reality of what that meant. And so now we're going to zero in on Peter, the danger of self-dependence, the danger of self-dependence. Peter is mentioned 158 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. And so he definitely is given for us as an example, and you have the, almost this entire chapter uh, given to instruct us on the love of Christ for us. And I want to give you just quickly some things about Peter in background also. Peter had the right theology. Uh, he, was, it wasn't, he wasn't off. The Lord had, uh, had taught them and he had believed it. And when the, the Lord was asking his disciples in Matthew 16, uh, what do, who do men think that I am? Peter 
then answered and said in verse 16, Thou art the Christ, that's the Messiah, the Old Testament prophesied Messiah, the Son of the living God. Tremendous statement of deity. And of course the Lord commends him for that. And Peter at times demonstrated real faith. Right now we're looking at the 0100 uh, book which uh, you had the walking on the water. And uh, that took faith, folks, in a storm to step out of the boat and actually go in the water after the Lord said, you can come. Uh, I just can't imagine asking the question, Lord, can I come unto you? That just was Peter. So uh, as much as uh, uh, he may have sunk a little bit later, none of us have ever done that type of thing. Matthew 14, 29, and he said, the Lord did come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So he believed right, and he showed at times faith in the Word of God, but he often was working and living in self-dependence. He looked at God's work from his perspective. When the Lord Jesus gave the precious uh, prophecy that he was going to die on the cross and be crucified, uh, which was really something very special and sacred for him to mention to his disciples. Of all things, Peter, in Matthew 16, 22, took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. To even say that to the Son of the living God, uh, and uh, to dispute his word just shows his dependence upon his own thinking at that time. Matthew 17, 4, when he, they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and here the Lord is being transfigured, and you have Moses and Elijah. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it would be good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias or Elijah. Well, he was just depending on his own perception. Uh, one writer said, without thinking about it, often our reasoning is this. I, by my stupidity, got myself into this mess. Therefore, I, by my stupidity, will get out of it. <laughs> now, we often, uh, by our stupidity, excuse the expression, get into messes, but it is God who gets us out of them. And uh, good old Peter we're going to have a good time talking to him as uh, he certainly uh, at times just showed that human thinking, but we've all been there. And uh, uh, he, he struggled with that. But he, he struggled with the idea that he was earning spiritual credit. Matthew 19, 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? My friends, God works not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of our faith in His Word and dependence upon His power. We are saved by grace, not by works. We live the Christian life by faith, not by works. But Peter and the disciples had really gotten uh, to this place that they were now somebody. They were part of the cabinet of the Messiah. And it was very easy for them to think that there was some value in who they were. And they were disciples by the grace of God, just like all of us uh, were. He boasted of his strength. Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. 
And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crowed, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter said unto him, Though I die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Oh my, what a statement. By the way, he wasn't the only one. The last part of that verse says, Likewise also said all the disciples. <laughs> and they all initially left him. John came back. Peter came afar. And so Jesus warned that he was going to be attacked by Satan. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, I'm mentioning all this. Can't we relate to this? Most of us are here today because we really want to believe, we believe right. We believe the Word of God. We believe in what Christ has done. We're here gathered together on the Lord's Day because we believe that He is preeminent and we put our trust in Him. Many here have had the wonderful opportunity of taking steps of faith and seeing God do a mighty work in your life. Not only salvation, but you've seen God transform you. That's a wonderful thing. But don't we often slip into self-dependence, thinking that we're okay, thinking that, uh, uh, that we can somehow make it forgetting the enormity of the spiritual battle, the satanic uh, battle. And this was really evidenced in the lethargy and apathy at the time of crisis when the three disciples who were closest to the Lord, came into the inner part of the garden and were to be there to pray with him. And after he went to pray in Mark 14, 37, and he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou, couldst thou not watch one hour? Oh, how easy it is for us to just live life. Get passive, get dull. And my friends, what happens then is what God wants to see accomplished both in our life and through our life during that period of time when we're just dependent on ourselves, just doing the American thing, just living our lives, divine work is being missed. Divine results are being lost. The work of God is not being accomplished like he wants to accomplish it. He's got a great plan for every one of us. And, uh, and so when we are long enough in that self-dependent position, folks, it's a dangerous moment. And what a crisis it was. I've had the privilege of being at uh, the site of Caiaphas' palace. This is one of the most uh, uh, clear architect, um, archaeological um, ruins in all of Jerusalem. It's just about 100% sure that this was the place where Caiaphas's palace was and the dungeon down below and all was where Christ was beaten and then uh, the place where he was kept. It's a very moving, moving place because of its authenticity and you think of what Christ went through that night before he died on the cross for us. And you go up and there is uh, you or out in the courtyard, there's this big rooster <laughs> uh, memorializing what happened there. Luke twenty two sixty, And Peter said, 
Man, I know not what thou sayest. They were saying, you're with Jesus. And immediately while he spake, the cock crew. And I can't imagine what this was like. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. He could see him out through the pillars there. Their eyes locked. He had warned him. He had every opportunity to have trusted the Lord, to have taken a stand with the Lord. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's really just a, a, it's just an awful moment. I mean, the man was at the bottom. He was broken. In fact, it was, it was more than going to the bottom. He had denied the very, his very Savior. He knew who he was. But because he was so self-dependent and so much wanting his position and having his ideas, that when Satan attacked at this very crucial moment, he denied his Savior. And my friends, that's what happens to us. It's not just a matter of us not growing. It's not just a matter of us not accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. And that is, all of that is very major. But when we are in the flesh and not walking in the Spirit, we are wide open. If we are in that position for any length of time, Satan can come in. And that's why it's such a head-scratcher sometimes why Christians do the things that they do. Satan is a defeated foe. We are in Christ in the heavenly spiritually. But my friends, when we are living in the flesh, we are lower. We are created lower than the angels. And we do not have the power to overcome Satan's attack on us. I've had so many Christians say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I got involved in that. Well, no, I'm sure you didn't think you would, but that's exactly what happens when you do not live in that uh, full surrender and dependence to the Lord, walking in fellowship with Him and following His leading. When you don't do that, you are in a place that the attack can be very real. Well, let's go back to John 21, and we're going to see that he made a decision while he was defeated here, our third point Verse 3, Simon Peter, they're up in Galilee, they're up on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, right where uh, they had been many a time with Jesus Christ. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Now, here we, we see this group waiting in Galilee for the Lord, but it's a very defeated group, primarily Peter. I do want you to note, though, isn't it interesting, it's not listed Peter, James, and John here. It's Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the two sons of Zebedee. Uh, I think that's very interesting, and uh, two other of his disciples. And uh, I think that's a real positive for Thomas, because Thomas now had gotten over his unbelief and was right there waiting for the Lord. But Peter was an absolutely devastated man. He had left the fishing profession. Now there was nothing technically wrong with him going fishing that day. 
And it, we don't know whether he was actually going back to that profession or not. But for these men to go fishing did have a real sense of resignation to it. They had failed their Savior. They had high ideals. They had great aspirations. Uh, they were thinking of all that they were going to do for Christ, and they had denied him at the very moment they should have stood with him. And then for Peter, the Lord had looked at him, and the cock crew, and, and I'd think that when the Lord looked at him, it wasn't out of anger, but the look of love and, and grief, and it cut right to the heart of Peter, and he went out and wept bitterly. The Lord sought him out on the resurrection day. We find that in 1 Corinthians 15, and he saw Peter, Peter directly. Peter knew that Jesus arose. Peter be, and now is beginning to understand all that the prophets had said. Peter was now coming to an understanding of why Jesus had come, and he was thrilled with the victory, but personally, he was a failure, just a total failure. Let's go fishing. And he influenced the other men to do it. And Jesus is going to be right there to restore this defeated man. Friends, have you ever felt like I'm never going to make what make it to where God has given me a, a vision to, to be in my life and in my ministry? Have you had things that have happened in your life that have devastated you? Disappointments? Failures? You have things that, that have crushed you in your spirit when you failed the Lord. You didn't do what was right. You made a wrong turn in your life. You got stubborn. You got rebellious. Uh, you weren't wise. You were selfish. Time has gone on and you think... You know, I believe all of this. This is why I go to a church that believes the Word of God. But for me, I go fishing. I'm just going to make the best of it. I'm going to support. I'm going to give. I'm going to do what I can. But that original vision, that, that great zeal that God had put in my heart once I was saved, and as I grew in the Lord, that understanding of what God can do in my life, I, I'm just a failure. And so Peter goes back to his old identity. And uh, I'm sure he felt that he had disqualified himself from serving the Lord in the apostolic capacity. It all was vain. Well, I'm telling you, as Raymond Edmund says, disillusionment, despair, and defeat, and degrading self-pity do not meet nor mend disappointment. Going on in faith is what does it speaks about some of the disappointments that Paul had, but he kept on believing God. And that's what the Lord was doing here for Peter. If you look with me back now at the narrative, verse 4, well, verse 3, he said, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Let me just tell you, folks, when you're not in the will of God, there ain't nothing there for you. Now, you might succeed. But you know, isn't it interesting? Have you ever noticed how the world just does fine doing what they do? But disobedient Christians have a tough time. It's all because of the goodness of God. 
But even if you look like you're successful, you aren't inside. There is that nagging, nagging, nagging sense. I am not. I've lost my vision. And I'm, I'm just going to be passed over. And there's that sense of defeat and disillusionment. Dangerous place to be. So they caught nothing. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. He's standing in the same place he was in Luke 5. We'll get to that in a minute. Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Second time this happened. When did it happen the first time? When he called them to be his disciples. What's he doing? He's graciously reenacting the same miracle to recommission him. Aren't you glad for that? I want to tell you folks, if, if right now this has hit a nerve for you today, I want to tell you the Lord Jesus loves you and he's ready to recommission you. He is ready to do for you all that needs to be done so that you can be all that God wants you to be. And that vision can be fulfilled. And, and so uh, we read in, uh, in uh, the middle part of verse 6, they cast their in and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, this is John, it is the Lord. By the way, you notice the one that had the most spiritual sensitivity knew it was the Lord. And you had to spiritualize because Jesus was in the same body, but he was now spiritually dominant, not physically dominant. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him for he's naked and then cast him himself into the sea. One real quick application here. Folks, if we would understand we're in the presence of Jesus, we would be far more appropriate in how we conduct ourselves. He is here. And our culture that doesn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God doesn't care how they live. But believers should care how they live. And much could be said about this. And, uh, and the other disciples came in a little ship for they were not far from land but it was as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes as soon as they were come to the land they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread well this reminded Peter of his original surrender uh, you remember back in Luke 5 they were out fishing and they didn't have anything and then Jesus talked from the boat and then he said go back out they said Peter said it's you know it's not going to work uh, but he said at thy word I'll do it and so they go out and they and we read in Luke 5 6 and when they had done this they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break and this is when the Lord commissioned Peter in Luke 5 10 and Jesus said unto Simon fear not from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. I can tell you, it's the exact same place 
exact same location, exact same situation. In fact, it was so vivid in their minds that John could recall, of course, with the Holy Spirit's power, he could have done it. But I believe it was so burned in his mind, he knew exactly how many fish there were, 150 and 3. You don't normally think of all, you know, he had it down to the very one. Why? This was a major reminder of the great calling that God had for all of those disciples. I can tell you every one of them were overwhelmed. There was their Savior, His voice of love. There He is in the very same place that He had commissioned them before and, those, and that miracle had occurred. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't doubt in all six of those men's eyes were tears as they realized this is the Lord touching to our very hearts about the call that He had given them to the ministry. Peter recognized Christ by his love and his work. John saw him. Peter understood him. They knew it was the Lord. But let's just go on here as we finish out. The understanding of Christ's commission. Peter, who was humbled and defeated, felt he could not accomplish the ministry. He had depended on himself. He had thought he was a great Christian. And now he was a failure. And, uh, but I want you to note, first of all, the reason that he was able to be restored was he didn't run from the Lord, he ran to the Lord. He put on his coat and he jumped out and left the, all the other guys to have to drag in the fish. I mean, he went to the Lord. Now think about that. In the midst of his defeat, he caught it. He caught the fact that Jesus was doing something miraculous for his sake and for the other disciples. And he made the wisest move of any man's life, any Christian's life. And that was to not run from the Lord, but to just go right to him. Let me tell you, friends, to run from the, of Jesus is the most foolish thing you can ever do. Yes, sometimes it's hard. The conviction is hard. Sometimes it's, you, have, you realize what you need to deal with in your life. But my friends, into the arms of Jesus is the only place in all of life that you will find what you need. And he is always ready to meet your needs at that point. And so he ran to the Lord. And God prepared him here, the Lord Jesus did, by his questions. And let's look just for the last couple of minutes at this. He feeds them and, he, and they're around the, the, the fire. By the way, where did he get his fish? The creator has no problem. He could have created the fish or he just said, come and doom, doom. <laughs> hey, no problem for the Lord. It's funny how you read commentators. They got to figure all these things out. When it's God, it's just God. Not a problem. But anyway... Verse 15, so when they dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of, of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Now, this was a very difficult moment for Peter. He had said, I'll die for you. He had said, I will not forsake you, Lord. Though everybody else does, I'll stick with you. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And I don't know what he means by more than these. 
personally, I think he's instructing him, do you love me more than anything human? Are you willing to get back onto the supernatural spiritual calling that I've given to you? The Lord uses, as most of you know, the term agape here, that sacrificial, total selfless, divine love. Do you love me like that? Peter, in his humility, and I think it was, and, and probably defeat at the same time, and honesty, had to use the highest of all words in the Greek, uh, other than the word agape, phileo, he answers them that, and that's a very noble word. But it shows you Peter's understanding of where he was. This was a very agonizing moment. He didn't have the audacity to say, I love you that, that way. But the Lord says something, and I'll get back to it, feed my lambs. Verse 16, and he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me, agape? And he saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Phileo. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Phileo thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said, Lord, you know my heart. I can't even say it. And I don't understand all the ins and outs and the nuances here. But what was the Lord doing? That's what he does for all of us. Folks, until we get honest with God, we're never going to get anywhere. Our self-sufficiency, sometimes our pompousness, our sense of false spirituality, our sense of contentment, uh, then something happens. And the Lord wants us to understand that, yes, we have failed, but he doesn't want us to live in self-pity. He wants us just to be honest, looking to him to solve the problem. And the Lord comes right down on his level. And... Three times here, in answer to Peter, he says, first of all, feed, pasture my lambs. Then the next one, take care, shepherd my sheep. And then in verse 17, again, feed, pasture my sheep. Spurgeon said, when Peter said, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love you, you half thought the Lord would answer, ah, Peter, I love you too. But he did not say so. And yet he did say so. Get this now. Perhaps Peter did not see his meaning, but we can see it. Jesus did in effect say, I love you so that I trust you with that which I purchased with my own blood. The dearest thing I have in the world is my flock. I make you a shepherd to my sheep. I gave everything for them, even my life. Now, Simon... You take care of them for me. That's unbelievable. The first and third imply only taking the sheep to pasture, while the second one implies the total guardianship a shepherd would exercise. So let me just conclude with this. Peter denied the Lord at the crucifixion. Peter slept in the garden. Peter ran. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad with all that Peter had, all the opportunities he had. But Jesus takes the time, cooks the fish, performs the miracle, 
then around the fire, personally talks to Peter, with the others hearing, for the purpose of restoring this man to a place that he could be used by the Lord. Now, friends, there's not a person here, if you're a believer, that is beyond God being able to recommission you back to where you should be. A lot of Christians lose their early idealism because of their failures, ongoing unbelief, situations, things that break them. But God knows that. And what does he ask for? Love me. I love you. Love me. Put me first. And depend upon me now, Peter, and I'll make you a shepherd. God wants every one of us. He will gift every one of us to minister one to another and to reach this world with the gospel. Friends, you didn't earn salvation and you will not earn the ministry. Now, obviously there are qualifications for different places in ministry, but as far as having powerful ministry, it's all by the grace of God. Aren't you glad? That means we're all in. <laughs> He's working in you. If you've sort of sagged and been defeated, He's wanting to get you back to victory and to give you great and mighty work. Now let me just ask you in conclusion, did Peter shepherd and did he work mightily in the, in the fields for Christ? Who was the one that preached the first message after the Spirit of God came? It was Simon Peter. And, and after praying 10 days by the power of God, he preached boldly and he, he just laid it out. I mean, everything he didn't do before, he did do by the power of the Spirit and 3,000 people were saved. And then the lame man was healed a few days later and he preaches again and 5,000 people were saved and Peter became a mighty leader. But I can tell you, you could have talked to him at any point and he would say, this is all the grace of God. It's all his mercy. I have to just get out of the way and let God do it. He wants, he wants to restore each one of us. Are you willing to, to listen to his loving voice today? We are loved by Jesus.